Paul. Jinx, how you doing? I am great. How are you, sir? I'm good. Doing well. Good deal. Okay, knock it off, Paul. I got a bone to pick with you. So I invited you on the Scream Addicts. I uh, I wanted to see if you wouldn't mind terribly guest hosting, and uh, and you agreed, and that was awesome. And I can't even be that angry at you because of that. But who did you decide to choose to be your guest? But the one person that I've wanted on the show forever. Tell us a bit about that, Paul. Tell me tell me why I'm angry at you right now. Well, your your anger makes sense um, because uh, I I invited Brian Sauer. Uh, to come on, uh, Rupert Pumpkin speaks on Twitter for any of you that that, that might know, um, and he agreed. So you are understandably upset, and I I would be livid. Upset. Um, yeah, I, I did I did steal your dream guest, and for that um, I would say I'm sorry. I, I would, but I, lots I, of I can't lie to you, Jinx. I, I can't lie to you. Um, Tad bit of fear. Uh, yeah, he he was. He was, it's fair, it's fair. He was gracious enough to to join me for a conversation on a a horror film of his choosing uh, by the name of Deadly Eyes, uh, Robert Klaus's 1982 film. Um, And uh, are you you familiar with Deadly Eyes? Have you you ever seen it? Not a bit. I'll rush right out and grab a Blu-ray of it because they're easy to find, right? They're like 10 bucks. I can find one in a bargain bin somewhere. Is um, that what you're telling me? I mean, the thing about that is um, it's, it's a little out of print. Oh, come uh, on! Just, just like a, a tad out of print. But uh, uh, Screen Factory did do a wonderful Blu-ray. Uh, so if you have like uh, $60 to $150 lying around, eBay is going to be very good to you uh, if you want to get a copy of this bad boy. Um, but I, I feel confident that it will, you know, come back out eventually. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a, it's an animal attack movie, which um, is one of my favorite subgenres and Apparently one of uh, Brian Sauer's favorite as well. Um, and uh, it's about giant killer rats, uh, mutated killer rats, uh, terrorizing a city uh, and, and some individuals who live there. So uh, we had a, a, a very fun conversation around that movie. And uh, yeah, it was great. So your anger is justified is, is kind of the moral of the story. All right. All joking aside, sir, thank you very much for coming on and for guest hosting. I really, really appreciate it. You got an amazing guest. You had a fantastic conversation, and I can't wait for people to hear it. So uh, with all that said, uh, on with the show. But also, I'm still really angry. Sounds good to me. That's fair. I understand. Spider wanted technology. There are 24 rats for every man, woman, and child alive today. I'm going to have to condemn all of this corn. Come on, you'll be shipped out of here in a couple days. It's a health hazard. I mean, don't you sometimes feel that there's an animal inside you just waiting for a chance to escape? Well, I suppose we all feel like that sometimes. In our country alone, they will destroy over $1 billion worth of property annually and consume one-fifth of all the food crops planted in the world. i got to stay here with Caroline. Come on, she'll survive. Caroline! So why is the war on the rats? Because of our total degradation of the environment and their presence 
serves to remind us of failures we would rather ignore. Gotta make him forget he's a teacher by reminding him that he's a man. Then something they call animal magnetism is supposed to take over. No idea at all what got hold of Well, the close set punctures would indicate some kind of root. This ecosystem that we live in is a bewildering complexity of action and reaction. Delicate balance of nature. We dare not alter. Believe me, you have this all wrong, Kelly. I know it looks bad, but there's a very simple explanation. I just want to know why you had to call out everything but the Marines. I mean, how are we supposed to keep business here when you circulate reports making a heart attack sound like something out of uh, a Twilight Zone? Let me conclude with an expression familiar to all of you, I think. Puts it quite plainly. Nice to fool Mother Nature. So, Deadly Eyes, from 1982. Um, this is a rat movie, and it is set in some anonymous city, although I believe it was shot in Toronto, and it is sort of about a, um, a, a sort of a rat group that's that's uh, infested this grain um that's been it's part of the, this dock area and uh the health department comes down they see the grain and it's uh rotting basically or whatever it's a health hazard so um one of the main characters this woman you know declares that the grain needs to be burned and uh she doesn't realize that she knows it's in, maybe infested with rats but she doesn't realize that the grain or the corn has been in guess injected with steroids and has made the rats like super rats and so they um once the you know corn grain is burned they uh retreat from it through the sewers and subway tunnels and they just start taking people out basically and that's sort of the the bottom line of the movie really hello and welcome back to scream addicts i am paul farrell your guest host for today and that was brian sauer talking about robert klaus's classic 1982 horror film deadly eyes as it says on his phenomenal blog rupert pupkin speaks mr uh-huh. sauer is a writer and maker of lists that seeks to keep older films in the public consciousness uh, additionally uh, he hosts just the discs podcast uh, which is Essential listening, in my eyes, for Blu-ray enthusiasts and movie lovers alike. And he co-hosts Pure Cinema Podcast, along with Elric Kane, a veritable treasure trove of recommendations and discoveries, uh, new and old, for those seeking to mine their love of film. And that is one of my, also one of my personal favorites. Uh, so, Very kind, uh, sir. No, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate you asking me and letting me talk uh, about one of my favorites. Oh, no, know? I'm I am I am psyched. Uh, you choosing Deadly Eyes uh, one. It, it was I don't know. I don't know why, but it surprised me um, and it excited <laughs> me uh, because uh, as we were very briefly talking about animal attack horror is uh, one of my very favorite subgenres. And I, I really, you know, as, as again, as we talked about, uh, I really associate it with summertime. <laughs> so it also kind of felt seasonally appropriate. <laughs> um, <laughs> in my eyes. Uh, so, but in general, can you tell me out of any horror movie that you could have chosen to talk about, uh, why go with deadly eyes? A good question. Um, well, like you, I'm a huge, you know, animal attack nature gone wrong, uh, kind of fan. And I have been for a long time 
uh, there's just something about the the idea of nature itself rearing up and going after people that I think uh, and animals attacking people that's always interested me because I'm actually an animal lover myself. Mm-hmm. And so they are this kind of antagonist that I root for. And so it's a weird situation where I'm actually often rooting for the animals to <laughs> to kill the people in the movie, <laughs> which is a little messed up. But uh, it's just one of those things where I'm like, that is the function of people in an animal attack movie is to be attacked. That's what they do. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's a genre I enjoy very much. And I like to champion the lesser known stuff like this movie or another one by Robert Klaus, The Pack. Uh, yeah. Beasts are on the streets. I'm a big fan of that one. Kingdom of the Spiders. There's so many. Um, and so, yeah, like I was telling you off, Mike, I know you're a fan too because you had mentioned Long Weekend on an episode of uh, Dead Ringers. And I thought that was super cool because that's a really neat, um, you know, na- nature gone wrong, animal attack. It's like a combo. It's a great, great movie. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, yeah, thank you. And I, I love Long Weekend. Um, it was a real surprise when I, when I first saw it and I, I, I have a proclivity towards animal attack because my wife is a zookeeper. Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> so of course that's the type of horror she's drawn to. <laughs> that's so uh, cool. And and again, similar to what you said, we're big animal lovers. So yeah, you, you watch those movies and typically, you know, it, they follow some of the rules that you would see in, in, a lot of other horror movies where, you know, the, the characters that you're following transgress in some way, um, only in, in this regard, they're transgressing against nature itself. Um, and what I love about Long Weekend is I think it's sort of the culmination of a lot of different animal attack movies, kind of all in one situation where it's it's all of nature. It's not just one thing um, <laughs> totally. kind of working against them. So it's really interesting and unique. And yeah, it's one of those ones you don't hear a lot talked about. So um, but yeah, Deadly Eyes definitely falls in that category. Um, and frankly, I don't think I ever would have discovered it had Scream Factory not put it out. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how excited I was that that happened because I discovered it on VHS at a local video store in town called Cinephile. They had like an animal attack section oh, nice. and there's there's a big old clamshell box. I was like, what is this? What is this movie <laughs> I've never heard of? Yeah. And so then I started championing it once I had seen it on VHS, but I was like, oh, I have a feeling this one um, because it was like a Golden Harvest production and there, mm-hmm. it was Warner Brothers. It just seemed like the rights might be complicated and I hadn't heard of it ever getting a DVD release, let alone a Blu-ray. So I was like, when it came up, I was so overjoyed. It's still one of my favorite Blu-rays and it's unfortunate that it's crazy out of out of print uh, expensive now, but I'm glad you snagged it before it went out of print. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I didn't even realize it had gone out of print because it was at a time when I was pretty much buying whatever Screen Factory put out. Um, <laughs> you know, if they put a movie out, I, I picked it up. And I I ended up with a lot of discoveries that way. Um, and so, yeah, I just I got lucky. But I think that's, you know, one of the beautiful things about these boutique labels is that, you know, if you trust in that brand, um, you, you kind of continue to purchase from them and, and you get these great discoveries and you, you see things that, you know, you never would have come upon otherwise. Um, but I think, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think within the, uh, animal attack kind of milieu, what I like about this one, you know, and I had only seen it 
like once or twice, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed it when I watched it, but you, you prompting me to kind of revisit it and watch it. Like <laughs> I've probably watched it like three times this last week. Oh, wow. Um, and I just got to say, I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I, and I love, it's just, you have everything from, you've got like a student trying to seduce a teacher plot line. You have a health department inspector investigation storyline. You even have like a corrupt mayor opening a new mass transit, you know, <laughs> plot situation going on. Like all three of those things could warrant their own animal attack movie. Um, and yet they kind of coalesce into this great, you know, production. Um, so, yeah. I mean, and you've got Scatman Crothers on top of it. <laughs> and you can't go wrong with Scatman Crothers. And he gets no and he gets a great send off. Uh, you know his his <laughs> his scene is is quite epic. Uh, he gets yeah. all the rats, you know, chasing them down, eating them alive. Um, <laughs> but no, he's I mean, he's got a very he's got a very shining vibe in this, a very Dick O'Halloran vibe with his like <laughs> utility vehicle driving in the subway tunnels. You know, it feels very much like you know something you know Dick would be doing. If he retired from the Overlook, although it's a pretty crappy job, so maybe hopefully he'd be doing something better. But I, I, I love that idea <laughs> that this is now in the the Shining verse. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I read something along the lines of him like the the producers. One of the thing, one of his requirements was that they had to make sure they had enough uh, like weed on set to keep him. <laughs> <laughs> feeling to in character and when you watch it with that in mind it makes a lot of sense um wow. and it's really I haven't watched it with that in mind yet so yeah it's it's a really great thing and uh but I, I, the thing i love about you know scatman crothers is especially when you hear people talk about it, it's just everybody loved that guy um he sounded like one of the most professional fun you know, kind people to work with. And he's one of those actors too, that just whenever he walks on screen, regardless of whether it's for five minutes or an hour, he just captivates, you know, you, no matter what he's doing, what he's saying, you just, all eyes are on him and, and he really carries the scene. And I thought that that, that really lended credence to like the little moments he was in this movie. Absolutely. No, he elevates absolutely every film that he's in literally, you know, cranks it up a notch if he's in it because of just how excellent he is all the time. He shows up, he is Scatman and he kills it. And yeah, I never cease to smile when I see him on screen. He I've I've pitched to Elric a couple times uh like character actor episodes of oh, Pure Cinema. Be great. Yeah. And Scatman was my number one, but we haven't <laughs> I haven't talked him into it yet. But I would love to do a Scatman episode of Pure Cinema. <laughs> He's so awesome. I would also love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's 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 so true. This movie has a lot of fun little performances in it. Um, and I mean, again, I think those little I think one of the things that really drives it is is all of those plot lines keep it really interesting. Um, but then the movie also has teeth to it. You know, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's not afraid to go there to go really dark. Like well, you, and right out of the gate too, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I, and I gotta be honest. So again, I, I hadn't watched this movie probably since it hit Blu-ray. Um, and I had forgotten somehow, you know how that happens. You watch a movie and it, and years go by and it, when you watch it again, it's almost like you get to see it again for the first time. You get some of those oh, yeah. surprises back. Um, and that toddler 
death <laughs> just floored me because I just kept expecting someone to come in and you know <laughs> save the kid because that's that's what happens, right? You know, yeah, the they save him at the die. last minute, and the right. suspense is that they're when are they going to save him? Right, exactly. And and when she walked in, and there was like a track of blood on the floor in the high <laughs> chair, I was like, oh my, yeah, you know, I couldn't believe it. That was nuts. Yeah. Well, I just love the way that that sort of sets the stakes as like anything goes in this one. Um, and I love it when movies do that, when they establish the anything goes stakes like really early. Yeah. So you're just like on edge the whole time. Like there's nobody that's safe. You know, I better not get attached to too many of these characters because really anybody could buy it at any point now. You know, I totally agree. And I think that's something that, you know, some of the best horror films have that right. Like something that immediately throws you off kilter. Um, defies your expectations and it, it kind of shows you the monster a bit like this movie's not afraid to show you, you know, to pay off the promise of giant rats killing people, you know, <laughs> yep. a, a lot of animal attack movies or some of them will sort of wait till the third act or kind of, you know, have the deaths be off screen, you know, this one right out the gate, you're seeing, yeah, like giant rat killing a toddler, jumping on the girl, like decimating this, you know, this, this group of unsuspecting teenagers right who you know that they're balancing plot lines of you know coming of age sexuality stuff that is <laughs> feels like relegated to a b plot line but it feels like a very important like plot line to introduce into a movie um so i thought that was kind of fascinating too where i was just like where where are they going with all you know because i'm following like a cheerleader falling in love with their teacher um, and then all of a sudden there's a, a giant rat eating a baby and I'm, I'm kind of like, <laughs> where, where's my head supposed to be? Um, but all of it amounts to a really entertaining experience. <laughs> yeah. And I just think the, and I saw this the first time I saw it on VHS, I think that certainly helped, but you know, obviously for people that don't know the rats are for the most part played by, well, there's puppets, but they're also played by dachshunds mostly and terriers in these rat costumes. So when they're running around and they, the movement looks real or quasi real, it's because you have real animals in these outfits. And as silly as that sounds, I still think between the actual look of it and the editing in terms of what they, they're, they're able to show you. And then the sound design, the, the rat sounds, the high pitched squeaks, which I've said before, I think are like on par with like the ant sounds in them or, you know, just those really signature uh, creature sounds that stick with you. I think those things combined with the high, the stakes being set as anything goes really makes it a lot of fun to watch, you know? Yeah, I, I was going to comment on that, too, because, again, thinking back, like, the first time I saw it, that was – it really struck me how impressive and real the rats looked. And I didn't initially know, the, again, the first time I saw it, that they were that they were dogs. And, you know, after the movie, I watched the special features on there and found that out. And I had to go back and, like, rewatch those scenes. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that's that's <laughs> genius. Right. Yeah. Like, it sounds so it sounds like the cheapest Roger corman thing you could do is, like, dress up dogs as your monster and just have them run around. But it works. It works beautifully. Yeah. And the amount of effort and time they put into that like I was watching one of the features and they're talking about how like every dog had a specific number and they had to make custom suits for the different dogs. Um, and then like the, a lot of the actors had to stuff their pockets with dog food. So the dogs would chase them <laughs> and things like that. It's just so nuts, you know? Um, but it, it amounts to something really chilling. And, and that's one of the great like juxtapositions when you 
get into movies and you start learning about the making of, you know, is, is there's oftentimes like something really silly behind something really scary. Um, yeah. and I think that's a really, I don't know. It's, it just, it's kind of magical <laughs> that yeah, it can no, elicit totally. that emotion in you. And yet I can still watch all that stuff and know about it. And it doesn't take anything away from it. If anything enhances no. it. Yeah. It doesn't take me out still, even yeah. despite the fact that I know it. And right. I, I, I don't know how I missed it last time I watched it, but then that same guy who's talking about the special effects and the dogs and he's talking about Joe camp who is like, you know, Mr. Benji, like the guy behind all yeah. the Benji films. He's He was the, the dog trainer or one of the trainers on this movie. And I'm like, oh, wow, this movie has a line to Benji on top of everything <laughs> else. Like, that's bizarre, but I love it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't, you know, there was a there's a Corman link in there, too, which does make a lot of sense. Like um, uh, the, the author or the person who wrote the original uh, screenplay, I think, um, Charles was, Begley or whatever. Yeah. Yes. And he was like a assistant director on Piranha. Yeah. Um, and he talked about how, you know, he wrote this movie more as an homage to Piranha than even based on the actual book. <laughs> The movie was based yeah, on. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I, I thought, thought that was really awesome. funny. He's like, yeah, I didn't read the book, but this is, this is a Piranha <laughs> reference. And I'm just like, that's great. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love um, it. You know, because Piranha is one of the great animal attack oh, movies, it really obviously. Is. Yeah. And this, I mean, I feel like I'd be a really good, interesting double. I'd love to see Piranha yeah. Deadly as Double, you know, when on land would, and on yeah. sea. You know? That would work really well. Um, and I do love Piranha. Um, and, and, yeah, and I think. I think the, that Corman mentality is present in this movie. Um, you know, that, that sort of energy that some of those great low budget Corman movie ha- movies have, um, and the ingenuity, um, with coming up with how to create some of these scares and really paying off the promise of the movie's title. And, um, so I, I, it was really interesting to watch some of those interviews and I thought it, it, it lent a lot to the experience of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to, um, when I prep for shows, if I can, I'll try and rip the, um, you know, the special features, the commentaries and all the things. And so for this, like I ripped all the interviews and exported the audio and I put it in, you know, a link that I could listen to in my car. So driving to work today, I was listening to those interviews again and it was just really neat to hear, to be refreshed on some of them. I was just like, Oh yeah, I didn't remember that. That's so cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it really immerses you like in the movie, you know, hearing people totally. talk about it that made it and care about it. Um, it's it's one of my favorite things about really collecting this stuff is it, it's not just having the movie. It's it's having the the context of the movie. Um, and I, I didn't really realize it was based on it. Have, have you have, ever read or heard anything about the original novel, The Rats, the James Herbert I- novel? I've definitely heard, I, I mean, I've known of it because I love the movie so much. And I yeah. want to say that maybe I got a copy of it, but yeah. I may be thinking of the pack. I may be thinking of another animal. I have a bunch of novelizations of animal <laughs> oh, attack cool. movies. Yeah. And that's, that's obviously awesome. a, a novel that it's based on as opposed to a novelization. Um, so I can't remember, but I definitely haven't read it. I don't think. No, you're, you're good. I haven't read it either. I was just fascinated by it because um, it has like three sequels. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and and apparently it all it all builds to a graphic novel, and and the whole series is sort of leading to like a post apocalyptic landscape where the rats have like decimated the world. 
Wow. And I'm like, that is so good. I'm just sad that they, that we didn't get that franchise. Oh, me too. It's so, so <laughs> it's sad. just like, wow, we could have had a Deadly Eyes franchise leading to like a gigantic scope, you know, post-apocalyptic mutant rat movie. Um, <laughs> it all starts yeah, with it's a, it's a real, Deadly it's Eyes. It's a real tragedy. It's a real tragedy to even think about. You know? I try not to dwell on it. But... Right, right. Of course. Well, it could still happen, right? I mean, we're getting yeah, sure. a sequel to Halloween, you know, we're, we're going back to the originals. We're, 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 you know, you never know. We could do a Kickstarter. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> I'd love it. No, honestly, I mean, I want to see, uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, all rat movies. So like Willard, the remake from 2003, like that's mm. the last big, you know, studio release that I can remember yeah. rat movies. You know, I'm sure there've been some smaller ones, but I would love to see, you know, a Blumhouse or whatever. Like I want to see rats attacking people at a multiplex in 2019 or 2020 studios need to get on this. They need to work on this right now. I totally agree. And rats are, it's, it's such a great villain. Um, because yeah. they're, they're, they're sort of smart enough and small enough. Right. And they also represent sort of filth, you know, which is a yes. good, a good sort of thing that, you know, everyone's trying to, it's like, when you think of that in your home, you, it just feels like it's sort of spoiling it. Um, it, you know, like of unknown origin, uh, oh, I love you it. know, what a, what a great movie. Um, yeah, rap movies and, you know, the original Willard's pretty solid too. Um, but the, yeah, the remake of Willard was like very surprising to me, like how much I enjoyed that movie and see, like Crispin Glover and like just the oddness to which he approached the character and the, uh, <laughs> the sort of like, like, I don't know how he approached like advertising the film. Like, did you see that music video he did of the Ben song? I want to say I did when the first came out, but I don't remember. I know it was on the Blu-ray, right? Yeah, it's, it's on the Blu-ray. And I think it was, because I had the uh, original DVD too, and I think it was on there. But it's like, it's him really lovingly singing Ben to the rat. And oh, he plays right. it okay. really straight. And it's just, it's just so perfect. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> and it, it, yeah, I think there's a, there's something special about killer rat movies. And it is a shame that we don't, it's odd that we don't see them more. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's a thing where like, you know, maybe studio people are just like, oh, I don't even want to deal with rats, you know, whereas, I mean, I, we've, my daughter, her rat has since passed away, but we had a pet rat in the house. It was a Dumbo rat. He was, you know, good sized rat with a big old tail and the sweetest creature you could ever, you know, imagine. So we had like a personal connection to them and I think they can be really sweet as well as being, you know, gross and obviously caring of, you know, germs and you know, fleas that cause the plague and all these things <laughs> that we associate with them. But yeah, there's something about them that is fascinating. And I think of unknown origin has some great stuff in the beginning where, you know, Peter Weller's investigating rats and you just hear all these facts about rats. And, uh, there's also a really great Pixar short where, um, yeah. they get, they get Patton Oswalt back as Ratatouille and he's going through all these facts about rats, you know, and, oh man, I just, they're just really interesting creatures and and that's another reason why i think i like these movies so much i I don't know they're just fascinating no i agree i think when you have like a personal attachment to it so oddly enough uh you know my daughter and this is gonna sound crazy because very few eight-year-old girls would have a pet like this but she has tarantulas 
Nice. Um, yeah. And we have about uh, four tarantulas in the house. Uh, and, and I will fully admit, um, and, and this will sound equally crazy, uh, I am fairly terrified of spiders. Uh, so when, when my friends heard it, that she was getting those, they were kind of like, yeah, how, how are you allowing this? And I'm like, well, you know, the reality is I live in a house with, you know, my wife and my two daughters, I'm outnumbered most of the time on such things. So, um, you know, they decided to go that route, but as a result of that, they love spider movies, right? Nice. Like they're not afraid of spiders, but they love to see, you know, spiders in movies. So even though like when I was eight years old, if someone had shown me arachnophobia, I would have, you know, been scarred for the rest of my life. Whereas my daughter, that's like one of her favorite movies, you know, because oh, wow. she loves seeing spider attack movies, you know? So I, I think there is something to be said about that. And I, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I think that's why dog movies are so popular. It seems like every couple months there's a dog movie that comes out. And I think it's just because it's so common. Like we all have, a lot of us have dogs. Um, yeah. It's something it's we can easy, all relate to. We care totally. about. So I think when easy it comes emotional to emotional manipulation, I think yeah, is, is yeah. my biggest it, issue with that. My daughter's actually obsessed with um, just a quick aside before we get into the dog thing. But no, my fine. daughter was momentarily obsessed with eight legged freaks. Nice. That was like her go to <laughs> spider movie forever. In fact, she met um, David uh, Arquette at, oh, a, cool. uh, at a at a function my wife's aunt was having. And we got a picture with him and oh she was, God. I mean, this is several years ago. So she was younger even, but yeah. like, it did feel a little weird. Like he was super nice, but I felt weird being like, yeah, I'm the guy who showed his daughter your PG-13 borderline, you know, could always right, be R-rated. Right, Spider move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she loved it. And uh, I get her ask before I forget, has your daughter seen Tarantula's Deadly Cargo? Okay. I have that movie on DVD. Okay. Uh, she has not seen it yet, but I got it last Christmas because um, gotcha. I'm slowly in. I'm kind of saving some. We just Good. she does love Kingdom of the Spiders. I know you mentioned that earlier. Great. We Great picked movie. up the uh, uh, yeah, the I guess it was Code Red or Scorpion. It was it was a I think. I yeah. Got it for Ronan. But um, it, yeah, we got that and they they love that movie, especially the, so much so that we do. Man, this is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick tangent, but that's kind of what happens on this show. I like it. Um, all right. So every Halloween for the last 11 years, I've done what I call a short amateur horror film festival. Um, and cool. I started it out of college because when I, gra- I got into horror movies in college and nobody in my family liked horror. So I was kind of all on my own. You know, I didn't have anybody to share that with. And I loved Halloween. I was like, how can I get everyone into this? So I made up a film festival uh, prompting my friends and family to just like pick up their cameras, their little point and shoot cameras, pick up their cell phones, whatever they had, and to make a short horror movie. And we're all going to watch them (laughs) together. Yep. And we're all going to watch them together and we're going to vote and give awards and do the whole thing. And there's no pressure because none of none of them. I mean, I'm talking like my my mother-in-law who like works at a church, you know, to to (laughs) come and make a little short horror film. So I did that about 11 years ago and about five people did it cut to now, um, you know, 11. This is going to be year 12. We get about. 13 to 15 submissions every year, about 40 to 45 wow. people show up. It's growing. It's weird. Cause That's it's just so awesome. in my house. People are like, are we going to have to move this out of your house? Because you know, <laughs> I can't, Yeah, I just show this stuff on my TV and I get like 
you know, and it's really great because you, you actually get to see people like develop as storytellers because, you know, it's like they've made 12 movies now. Um, Anyway, the reason I'm telling the story. Oh, go ahead. Wait. I was going to say, and you've got you know your you've got tarantulas in the house. You can yes. make your own yeah, spider yeah, yeah. movie. It's great. And 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 the other fun thing is, it's kind of like we have the coolest home movies ever, because like <laughs> oh, yeah. when we go to watch home movies, it's like short horror films we've made, right? So you can <laughs> see so my cool. kids grow up over the years Aww. in these movies, right? So it's actually like kind of moving to watch That's some really of them. Um, anyway, uh, but what's what's really cool is now, you know, when I started this, my daughter wasn't, didn't exist. She hadn't been born yet. Um, you know, now uh, she's eight and she makes movies for it. Um, so and cool. last year, uh, which what I'm all, what this is all building to, and the reason I told this long, long story is because she made a movie based on kingdom, her version of kingdom of the spiders. Um, and that is the best yeah. thing ever. And your daughter is so cool. Yeah. It's called queendom of the spiders. And it basically, it kind of delves into weird stuff where she like becomes like, part spider she's like you know she becomes like one of the spiders like an like an evolved person and like and they did the whole what my my favorite thing she did was you know the end of kingdom is sort of that matte painting with the webs all over the town um she she bought she her and her my mother-in-law went to target and bought a bunch of those like little dollar fake spider webs and they webbed over her entire room (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like at the end of the movie you pan over the webbed you know her bedroom that was all webbed um and she wouldn't let me see her room for like three days she's like you can't come in here like you can't see it because it had to be you know a surprise when i saw the movie um so anyway it's that is truly spider bad. yeah it's me. pretty cool yeah so the spider movies have had a dramatic impact <laughs> on uh on her life <laughs> already on her I love it. young I love life it. um yeah, so I, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where whatever it is animal wise that you care about in real life, um, it's, it's gonna impact like not only what you're scared of or what, what you're entertained by and what you're interested in watching the, in, on the big screen. So I think that's pretty cool to see. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but I mean, along those same lines, you, you talked about, um, sort of the rat facts. Right. And I've seen that Ratatouille short, you know, like, and I actually, it's kind of funny cause this movie opens with that too. Right. Like it has the little, yeah. uh, the teacher lecturing about rats and how like they outnumber us. It almost sounds like a, like a fifties propaganda film strip. Like the totally. rats are growing. They're going to consume <laughs> us. The war on rats, you know, we're losing <laughs> the war on rats. Um, so I thought that was kind of a fun, throwbacky kind of way to bring us into the movie too yeah absolutely and i I just think it's great because they're almost always like real rat facts you know that they're throwing in and it's and i'm like that's so neat because you don't really have to make anything up you know the fact that they can like chew through cement or whatever you know just these crazy things that they can do and they can you know fit through the a hole the size of a quarter or whatever um it's just so creepy and um, I don't know, invigorating from the point of view of your, you know, creature. Uh, but I just love that it's, they don't have to create a mythology or do anything. They can just rattle off real stuff. And, uh, and that is immediately enough to creep you out as well as your own, you know, sort of ideas about rats and, you know, how you feel about them. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And it, I mean, it, it really brings you into a point where by the time you start getting to know the characters, that's sort of brewing in the back of your mind. And it, and it touches on a couple things. Like it touches on that degradation of the environment, you know, which is sort of like the staple of animal attack movies. Like, you know, we're, we're destroying the world. So the world's going to come back and get us. Um, which I particularly liked how they did that with like the, the giant mountains of grain that have to be burned. Like the, the steroid infused grain, like it, it feels like very epic, you know, for, for like sort of what it starts to be sort of a smaller situation. It's like starts in a classroom and then we move to like the health department and it, it almost feels like we're watching characters from, um, uh, like the invasion of the body snatchers from the seventies. Like, you know, these people are like, okay, we gotta go investigate and see what's going on. You're gonna have to burn all this. Like, you know, it, it feels like a small story and a big story kind of molding together, which gives it more of a personal touch. Yeah. And I like that, you know, as much as the, um, Oh man, I'm forgetting the actress's name that plays the, uh, romantic interest in the film. Um, uh, was it Ke- the one who plays Kelly, Sarah Botts? Botsford. Botsford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how she's, you know, very much a like crusader for the right thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's ultimately her decision to burn all this grain that causes all this destruction. So the in this case, she's right, but she's also wrong. And so it's this weird dichotomy of like, you don't want to leave well enough alone, but you know, if you had a lot less people be dead. So it's, it's just a really weird pro-environment, pro-death of people despite that message. Yeah, and the, the well, the messaging in this movie in general is like really sort of difficult to navigate at times because like I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't often know like what it's trying to say. Like, you know, because they introduce, like I said, so the, the really, the thing that throws me off is the, I don't know if I'd call it a love triangle, but... You know, sort of the balance between the the Paul Harris teacher character and then, uh, was it Trudy and Kelly, right? So, obviously, he never really, like, dates Trudy, but she continues to pursue him for most of the movie. So, you have those scenes where they're sort of, like, you know, there, there's a kiss and he, he pushes her away, but he kind of allows it for a minute, you know? So well, then he's I, got that, that moment where he's like self-control or whatever. I'm yeah. Like, oh, gross. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cause it kind of <laughs> suggests like, I was like, okay, so what you're suggesting is he's like, he wants, he wants to, but he's only not doing, which I guess it's good that he's not doing it. Yes. Right. Um, but at the same time, yeah. The fact that he, you know, and then you, you, you juxtapose that with Trudy saying like, oh, well, you know what they say, the animal magnetism. So like, <laughs> she's kind of validating that yeah like all guys would want to do this right like and then he's he's saying yeah we do but you know moral people don't um (laughs) and and then you know he meets someone his own age that's like a more appropriate romance but i think he also represents sort of a a repressed he has a repressed sexuality to him at the beginning where he's sort of talking like you get the sense that he's lonely um, obviously he's gone through, uh, a divorce. I think they kind of, they mentioned at some point. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a really interesting backdrop to giant mutant killer rat movie. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. First time you saw that or over the years, what have you kind of made of that? You know what I mean? Is that something that has jumped out at you as like an odd thing? Yeah, definitely. No, no, there's a lot like you, you really, 
you know, sort of covered it when you said there's all these different plot lines going on. And I think that is definitely the engine that keeps the movie going. And the rats just kind of pop up and get somebody, you know, every yeah. reel or so, you <laughs> yeah, know, and right. it's and it's great because it's often unexpected, although there are definitely some moments like there's there's one where this old man is like walking down the street and we're just like oh we haven't seen him before and i know like uh i showed my daughter this movie because <laughs> i'm a twisted person but um you know as she knows she's seen not a ton of horror movies but enough animal attacks movies she actually kind of likes she loves animals yeah. but she also kind of likes animals like she she really loves the pack the pack is like one of her favorite um movies like she just there was a point where she kept asking to watch the pack over and over again <laughs> That's awesome. um and yeah the pack is great um but the idea is that like you know she knows when a character's introduced that we haven't seen before like this old guy you're just like oh man this guy's toast. I know this guy's <laughs> not going to make it. And it's really sad because like he just, it's icy and I feel like he's falling down and the yeah. rats are just like, we are going to take you down, buddy. You're, yeah. you're not going to make it. They really have to fight for that one. He's just, it kind of falls into their clutches. Yeah. But, but no, sorry to your point, you're yeah. totally right in terms of the, the backdrop of this like divorce guy, you know, and the, you know, the, t the underage girl story and, and, <laughs> That that is a very odd, and he, and Sam Groom is an actor. He plays the teacher. He he reminds me of like Bradford Dillman. If we're talking about Piranha, by the way, yeah. Um, so it's and and Bradford Dillman reminds me of Charlton Heston. So they both have this like Hestony like um, toothy grin that they do. I can't explain it, but they remind they all remind me of each other. And so Sam Groom is like he's he's good, but he's like just a little self-serious in this certain way that I find not, I don't want to say laughable, but, but mm. definitely entertaining where I'm just like, dude takes himself a little too seriously. Um, but it, it works. I don't know. It's a really, I, I think I always enjoy Charlton Heston surrogates in films. I think that's another <laughs> thing for me. And Sam Groom functions as that in Deadly Eyes. I I totally agree. Well, I, it feels like they almost belong in like a lifetime melodrama, like like Something Paul like Kelly that. and yeah. Trudy, you know. But maybe a little bit of a step up from that. But like it. But I think that's such a such a odd juxtaposition against the rat thing that it that it works because I think if this yeah. movie was just about the investigation, right? Like we're investigating this, uh, you know, and then the mayor doesn't want to call attention to it. It would be kind of boring. There wouldn't be yeah. enough and just like extra straight stuff. jaws kind of, right? You know? Exactly. It'd be straight jaws without the pedigree, um, of what jaws offers. And, yeah. um, I think that adding this in is enough of a distraction that when the rat stuff does happen, it feels more exciting than totally. it otherwise yeah, it's would like have. A, it's like a sleight of hand yeah. plot trick. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that and how it it does go, you know, and also Lisa Langlois is obviously very attractive yeah. and that's a distraction too. And right. so just having these little subplots to get lost in, you know, like, Oh, they're going on a, you know, um, Sam Groom and, and the uh, appropriately aged woman, Sarah Botswin, are going on a date. And, oh, now they're having a very hot sex scene, which is like, <laughs> okay, sure, let's do that. Right. That sounds fine. But, right. yeah, it's just all these different things to sort of draw your attention away and then suddenly bring it back, you know, which is, 
I mean, it's a clever approach to storytelling. And I think that I hadn't broken it down like you did, so I hadn't thought about it. But, um, yeah, that's definitely part of the reason that I think I like to rewatch the movie is because there's a lot of things going on. And then you you build and then you get to, like, some great attacks. You know, the rats will, you know, bite somebody in the hand. They I love that they use... Um, the guy who plays Jerry's buddy, uh, Vincent in three o'clock high is one of the main, um, teenagers in this movie and he gets attacked in a bowling alley and that's an intense scene. And then of course there's an incredible, uh, set piece at a movie theater, which is playing game of death, yes. uh, another Robert Klaus movie. And th- so that's great. And so you have your, your attack movie, your animal attack movie tropes, but then these other layers, um, yeah, they really help. They really do as much as you could be like, well, this is more, why do we even need this? <laughs> it's, it does something where it allows for the rat stuff to be more, not impactful, but just sort of catch you off guard a little bit more. Like, bec- like you said, because of the distraction. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you, there's, there's two things I need to mention. Uh, I was in all the stuff you just said, one, I have to personally thank you for introducing me to three o'clock high. I had never heard oh. or seen of that movie until you nice. mentioned it on, I believe Pure cinema at one point early on. And then yeah, I think it was you, on the first think, episode. Yep. Even. And you, and you're, you sold me on it. Like the minute you talked about it, everything you said was like right up my alley. And I know this has nice. nothing to do with deadly eyes, but I just have to say it since I got you here. Well, it does though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, it does actually. There's a connection. So I'm okay. Um, and then, uh, so obviously when shout put the Blu-ray out, that was a day one pickup for me. And I mean, I watched it. I invited people people over the next night, less than 24 hours later, and watched it again so I could show it to a bunch of people because I couldn't believe Fantastic. how good it was. And Fantastic. it immediately was one it is one of my favorite 80s teen comedies of all time. Uh, so I put it on. I've I probably put that movie on at least once a month, maybe more. Oh, wow. Like in the back, I love it. Like it's, it's if I'm doing laundry, if I'm just around the house and I need something on, like. That's the movie. That's my go-to. Uh, I, um, I, I couldn't be happier that, that uh, I had yeah. anything to do with you seeing it. Have you shown it to anyone who hasn't liked it? No. Everybody I've shown yeah, it to I, loved it. I, um, no, that's <laughs> one of the rarest things about a movie is something where you can show it to you, – you literally haven't come across someone who didn't – did not enjoy it. No, and it, I'm not saying that it's guaranteed for everyone in the world to enjoy it, but everybody that I've thought would enjoy it has enjoyed it because it's just such a great build and a great story oh, and the, great characters. There's nothing like it. And it, I mean, no. the whole movie, the, it does the impossible because the whole movie is building towards this one event, which how could you possibly pay that off? And it does, yeah. it pays yeah. it off. Like it's so, it's such a satisfying movie. Every little moment counts and it's hilarious. The characters yeah. are great. Every every bit of that movie is is wonderful, and, and the, the direction. Is, I know it yeah, feels exactly. like Robert Zemeckis, like Back to the Future style. Like it kind of has that that energy to the shots. Um, you know the long tracking it's shots. Sam Raimi. It it's just really like this is. Really I, it's yeah. it's a movie where you watch that and you just wonder, like you wish that that director had gotten a chance to do so many more movies because it's just such a wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that great. we have that. Yeah. I'm glad that that 
exists, but no, yeah, everyone I've shown it. So, so you can feel proud that not only to show it to me, but be, I've shown it to many, many others. So your, right. your reach is spreading far and wide on that one. Um, I couldn't be happy about that. No. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the other thing is I, I just have to say, I love when movies have sequences in movie theaters. Yes. Um, it's one of my favorite things. Uh, one of my all time favorite movies is matinee Joe Dante's matinee. Great movie. Um, it's a very like it, it's, it's one of those movies that when I saw it, it, it just, it touched my heart in just the right way. Um, and you know, it just spoke to me, um, on a lot of levels and wonderful film. Uh, but no, I, and that's a movie I think of whenever movies are set, you know, do movie theater sequences, you know, and obviously Dante loves doing that because we have gremlins and, um, but so you see that influence here, you know, any, it's just having that self-referential nature, the, the experience of being in a theater, watching a movie, experiencing that thrill, and then having a real thrill encroach, um, is always a really great device, I think. Yeah. And, and I love the way, it turns into just this insane melee, you know, like <laughs> people going through plate glass windows, people trampling each other, yeah, you yeah. know, rats jumping up, you know, seemingly higher than they should be able to jump off the, <laughs> off the ground and biting people. And it's just a free for all. And it's the best kind of um, craziness yeah. that I love. But yeah, in a movie theater, it makes me, you know, like I'm thinking of like demons and, and movies know, like I that. Demons you... too. I was like, am I yeah. crazy for thinking about thinking that it reminded me of demons? I, I no haven't way. seen demons in, in about, I don't know, maybe a year or so, but I was like, this is reminding me so much of, of some of those scenes in demons. Um, yeah. and it's just, it just goes so crazy. And I think that's another thing that makes this movie really work is that it, it, it'll do the melodramatic stuff with the relationships and then it'll go full demons, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yes. and you very rarely get that in anything uh, no. that it can balance no, those really tones. Unique. Yeah. It's really neat in terms of, like you say, all these other plot lines and all these things. And, you know, it's not like I would ever want to go out and try to copy what it's doing, but I'm surprised more movies didn't try to not rip off deadly eyes, but have just a little bit more going on. Like you say, a lot of movies get, in the, in the animal attacks or whatever realm, they get hung up in the investigation plot yep. and that's fine, but it can be a little deadening if you're just doing it for the whole movie. Right. So I, you know, I, I'd, I'd much prefer having a couple subplots, even if they're bad, you know, to kind of yeah. distract you for a minute <laughs> and bring back, bring back the animals in a minute. You know, I, I agree. I, I actually think when it comes to, I don't know, I think when it comes to animal attack movies, I mean like a convoluted storyline is actually kind of a good thing. I mean, I yeah. think it's like, it, it benefits the film for all the reasons that we're talking about, you know? And I, I think of some of those Italian ones, um, uh, what's the, the, the beast one. one. Yeah, oh, the, oh, uh, oh, 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 uh, the wild zoo beasts. wild beasts. Yeah. Like that's a yeah. convoluted narrative, yes. like, but it's constantly entertaining, you know, um, tentacles is incredibly convoluted, but it's, but it, it never stops. You never know where it's going to go. And, and it's kind of fun in that way. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, think that's thing. why we're drawn to those. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing about for me anyway, disaster movies. Yes. You know, in general, yeah. I think set up all kinds of character with with lots of little subplots. Right now, of course, I've got Earthquake in my head because that's <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite disaster movies. Um, but yeah, there's so many little subplots going on that are building up to 
you know, the giant earthquake, which then affects all the subplots yeah. and all the people. And yeah, I think it's that same kind of, you know, approach that makes for a really successful animal attack movie. I mean, animal attack movies are disaster movies, so it, yeah, it totally lines sure. up. But, um, but yeah, I mean, something about the spectacle of that, you know, m- bunch of characters. I mean, it really is like Deadly Eyes is kind of doing a disaster movie on a smaller scale in terms of the different stuff happening. It really is that, you know, and yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And that, and what you're saying, like totally comes to fruition in the third act, like the whole, I mean, that's the thing is that whole sequence almost feels like a whole nother movie that we get like, (laughs) you know, cause by then the whole love triangle thing is like essentially resolved. Like, you know, uh, Trudy's like, okay, well I guess I'm not going to be with him. I'll go back with my boyfriend. So, you know, yeah, Kelly's kind of mad at him, but she she also acknowledges that they weren't like a couple. So she's like, well, I guess that's over. Um, and she goes off to go to this opening of a subway. And now we have this mayor who, you know, wants everything to go smoothly and is mad about her burning the <laughs> stuff in the first place. And we're kind of like in a new story with a new yep. villain. Um, and it's this great spectacle sort of disaster sequence on a train. Yeah, it has a great ending too, yeah, which I think is ho- kind of hilarious. But it is, it's crazy. Know, works, um, and but it I doesn't. Just, it 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 speaks to the idea of like the things are okay, right? But they're kind yeah. of maybe not okay because yeah. you know, like if we, I mean, we don't get, have to get totally into the you know minutia of the ending, but there are a lot of rats, and I. <laughs> I think the rat problem is not solved by the end of this movie. Um, so, well, like, it's a great, you know, stopping point, yeah. you know, without trying to wrap everything up, you know? Well, it also kind of speaks to, I guess, like, if the movie does have sort of a message it's trying to relay, kind of going back to burning the stuff at the beginning is that you can't just light it on fire and make it go away, right? Like, yeah. you know, any any pro- environmental issue that we have caused – um, we're not going to be able to just destroy with one fell swoop and then be fine. Um, and I think that that, that message starts at the beginning and then comes through at the end. Um, and, and, you know, it does the horror movie thing where it's kind of like, yeah, you get that one last scare, you get that little jump. Um, and then knowing that there's three other books again, that makes me like, man, we could still get a sequel to this. Um, yeah, man. you know, just do it in real time, you know, like, hey, <laughs> yes. it's been however many years and the rats took over and now we have a, oh, you know, the, so my sequel pitch would maybe put the, the little boy grown up in that oh, world like and it. he could be the hero. Right. You know, I like it. So we could, we could really get something going there. Um, I like where your head's at. <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, I think the ending really works and it was really fun and silly and exciting and. You know, anytime that you can end with blowing it, you know, like, I know we'll blow it up. You know, that's always a fun <laughs> animal attack ending that just kind of works yeah. every time. <laughs> let's, let's get some fire going here. This is great. You know, and I do like when it, it's a weird thing, but I do like when new quote unquote weapons are sort of, um, you know, c- coming out at the last act of the movie where you're like oh i didn't see that coming oh nice what's you know just things you didn't that weren't even set up necessarily i mean not really uh at the beginning of the movie come out i'm just like oh that's cool um i won't go into this is a total tangent but just a brief one um my wife and i just saw ready or not um awesome and i i i i liked it but i have 
big problems with it. I won't go into specifics. Sure. Um, but there, some of it has to do with weapons. I'll just put, I'll leave it at that. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so like a movie where weapons are used well, you know, is, is a big deal to me, you know? And I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to get into, um, <laughs> once upon a time in, in, uh, Hollywood spoilers, but there's another, you know, well-used weapons in that movie. You yeah. know what I mean? So like that kind of stuff, I just really eat up for whatever reason. <laughs> no, I think, well, and especially with weapons in a movie like this, like typically how a movie utilizes its weapons sort of like speaks to whether it's following its own rules or not, you know, in terms of what it's set up and what it's already introduced or what it hasn't introduced. So I think like if a movie's well done, like, like again, this movie sort of begins with a bunch of fire. Right. And so coming back around to that makes sense and ties into the logic of the characters that are, that are doing it, you know, had they had it gone in a totally different direction and they were using a, you know, like a lawnmower a la, uh, you know, (laughs) dead alive, right. right? (laughs) It would maybe feel a little bit odd, fun, but odd. Um, so I think, yeah, I agree. I think it, it all, it all coalesces for me at the end. And, and absolutely. I, I, I also like that it doesn't feel the need to resolve like Paul and Kelly's sort of fight, not even fight, but like Kelly thinking that Paul slept with Trudy. Which is like, actually like a funny, like almost screwball comedy moment. It is. Yeah. <laughs> right? In the middle like, of the movie. Well, and yeah, it really is. That's 100% a screwball comedy moment. It's, and they never re- resolve it. Like she just nope. thinks he slept with a, with a high school student <laughs> and is, I guess, okay with him now. Like, you I know mean, what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like so early in their relationship. She's just like, well, I like him still, yeah. even if he is kind of a perv. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it does. It's totally something almost out of like a Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger musical. You know, not exactly. That's it, They didn't do a lot of, you know, uh, underage. Under, you know, yeah, right. Teacher, stuff, student but, stuff. But yeah. that's sort of, you know, um, comedy of, yeah. um, you know, misconceiving what's going on is is a staple of the screwball comedy so right it's just bizarre well and as somebody who grew up like you know i didn't get into horror till much later in life i grew up on old comedies like that's what my, you know my dad raised me on like three stooges you know like that's the kind of stuff that i grew up watching so i love a good comedy moment um so yeah like in that scene like i was actually laughing and my wife was like why are you laughing at this like this isn't this isn't supposed to be funny i was like no it's funny it's like you know the the misconception he's like no no it's not what you think you know like i i find just the act of the misconception to be funny because that once upon a time was comedy you know that's all they had to do was present a misconception and then you would laugh at that because the person was embarrassed um now in comedies, it feels like there has to be a much more elaborate conceit and a certain type of acting style that has to accompany that to tell the audience it's funny. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that played kind of like comedy to me. And I don't know if that comes from maybe like Robert Klaus being more of a, I don't know if I call it like, cause he had, he had a lot of directing experience before this movie, right? Like he, yeah. you know, and he directed like, the, one of the most iconic movie, you know, enter the dragon. Um, and of course he did Jim Cotta. So, I mean, we, we have enter the dragon and Jim Cotta on the same filmography and black uh, belt Jones, <laughs> black belt Jones. Yeah. Right after, uh, enter the dragon. I mean, this guy, you know, and, and wasn't he totally deaf? Did I, I think I, I heard right that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I and think like I he heard would have, he had an impairment like that. Well, I wonder, 
you know, him being deaf, because they, you know, so he was obviously like a visual guy, like everything was, I wonder how that maybe impacted some of this. So you think about this movie in visual terms, not in terms of what you're hearing, because you mentioned like it does have a phenomenal soundscape, like a very impactful soundscape. And yet it is visually interesting. The lighting's really cool. You know, you have a lot of like interesting environments, Um, you know, so I think that's another thing that makes the movie really work. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the idea of, like, if Robert Klaus couldn't hear, like, or barely could hear, I wonder who signed off on the rat sounds, or did yeah. did he, did they get him high-pitched enough that he could hear them? Because <laughs> they like are really screechy them? and high-pitched. Yeah, so, yeah, that yeah. is or true. Or yeah, did somebody yeah. describe them to him? It's crazy. It's I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff with sound in the movie that I, I didn't notice as much until this viewing. Or I did, but... There was more to it this time. Yeah. No, and I think all of that combined, you know, it's I, and it's like any movie, right? Like all of the elements had to kind of come together for it to be what it is. Um, and I just, I think like having Robert Klaus at, at the heart of it, um, I think it, when I think about him not being able to hear and I think about his visual style, like I think that's a big reason the movie's so interesting visually. And I think that's like kind of the final reason that it, that it all comes together. Um, so it was yeah, cool right. learning more about it and, and kind of getting into it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm but, glad you were down to rewatch it, man. Yeah, no, I think, um, it, like I said, I, I, I love that you picked it. I don't know why, but I expected, you know, I, I listened to pure cinema and I listened to these. I'm like, Oh, he's going to pick, <laughs> he's going to pick like a uh, leopard man or, you know, like something oh, Luton, like a yeah. Valutin thing. That's, I don't know why, but that's where my head was at. Right. And, and then you're like, Oh, deadly eyes. And I'm like, this is amazing. We get to talk about an animal attack movie. Um, so I was yeah, very grateful. I know it comes. Well, I'm glad I, I know it comes off like, uh, I'm, I can, I have moments of classy, but I think at heart, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of junkiness. Not, not that this movie is junky, but there's no, a lot of yeah. less than classy, um, material that I really respond to. And, uh, so I like both, I, you know, I'm a high and low art guy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to entertainment, like animal attack movies are just so much my thing you know i couldn't help myself i had to pick one and this is probably one of my favorites so yeah and and that's you know at the end of the day that's one of the things i you know not to get keep getting off topic but that's one of the things i love about pure cinema um and i i've listened to since the beginning since i was a big fan of uh elric on shockwaves and uh killer pov so when he launched uh when you launched that and I had heard you, you had done killer POV, right? You had done killer POV yeah. and you mm-hmm. might've done shockwaves before that I d- too. I don't know if it was, I think it was, after, it was after. Yeah. Either way I knew, I knew who you were and I'd read your blog. Um, oh, cool. And so when you guys said you were doing a podcast, I'm like, Oh my God, someone made a podcast just for me. <laughs> it's oh. like two of my oh. favorite people who talk about movies are just going to go talk about all kinds of movies. And I think one of your first episodes was like movies about movies, maybe yes. like making. And I, I went out and bought like several movies, like the player. And I, like, I had never seen the player and I bought, um, oh my gosh, it's one with Peter Dinklage. Oh, living uh, in oblivion. Yes. I bought living in oblivion that so, day on Amazon when I was listening to it. Like I opened my phone up while it was playing and, and uh. ordered living in oblivion based on what you guys said. <laughs> so anyway, um, no, I, I get like, that's one of the things I like about it is that you don't discriminate, right? You'll talk about 
any movie and it you know and i love how that all coalesces and uh you know and you guys are you know now that you're partnered with new beverly that tarantino talk was amazing um so Oh, anyway, thank you. Yeah, uh, that was mind blowing. That whole experience, I gotta yeah, say, I can, I can only imagine. But, <laughs> but, but in terms of the uh, the approach of the show, I mean, Elric and I connected because uh, you know I met him doing an interview for my still unfinished Danny Perry documentary. Yeah, and Danny Perry is one of our ground zeros, and he his books and his you know philosophy very much was like you know let's put you know the the high art in with the low art because all these movies, all these movies have fans. And I think, yeah, that's just been our general approach. And I I think, you know, too much of any one thing can get boring. Um, you know, you can burn out. And that's one of the things I love most about movies is you can go nuts on different corners of cinema for, you know, days, months, years at a time, and then pull out of that and not go down that, that corridor again for a long time. Uh, and find some other little avenue to go down. And it's fun to get caught in those little obsessions, you know, a film noir or a Western or uh, animal attack movies or whatever, you know, just, I, I just love it when people who, I, I love that there are some of, you know, the big fans of the show, I think are also horror fans, but I like that the horror fans have been open to discovering other movies. And I think yeah. the one thing that I would say to people listening to this show is that, you know, horror is great and I love horror, um, deeply, deeply, but you know, there's a lot of cinema that kind of connects to horror that I think if you're not enjoying it, you could be, and it could be, um, something that could sort of be just as fulfilling in a lot of ways and, you know, give you, uh, some new things to check out. You know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't just watch horror. I get why Mm -hmm. people are into it and everything, but yeah, I would say, you know, check out some cult movies that, you know, maybe are borderline horror or maybe you're not horror. You know, I just feel like there's so much to check out there. And I think expanding your horizons is never a bad thing, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that's it sounds uh, like you have, so oh, you're, you're, you're that's, well beyond horror. No, I mean, that's, um, yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, like I said, I spent a, as I got more into movies, I was initially very much into dramas. I thought I was like, Oh, I got to watch very serious Oscar, you know, movies when I was a teenager. And, you know, then I stumbled upon, uh, the work of George A. Romero and the rest is history. Uh, it, it led me down a rabbit hole that I've, I've, I'm still in, uh, but, <laughs> uh, you, man. but thanks to you guys. I mean, um, people like you and, and jinx on screamatics and, uh, just podcasters, bloggers, people online like that. That's the new video store. Uh, yeah. is, you guys say that all the time. So I'm kind of, you know, mirroring that, but it's, it's how I find things. Um, but it's such a great conversation to be a part of, and I'm really grateful for it. So. Um, well, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, no problem, man. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that about does it on on this. So, I, I yeah, one, thank you for your time and for choosing this amazing movie. Um, My pleasure. So, I guess where can people find you online, and what can people kind of keep an eye out for in the future from you? <laughs> um, I am uh, Bob Freelander on Twitter, and uh, I obviously have uh, Twitter for we have Pure Cinema Pod on Twitter and just the disc pod also on Twitter and, um, pure cinema and just the discs are both available wherever you find podcasts. And, uh, if you, uh, are interested in, you know, cinema of all kinds, um, 
that's what we do on pure cinema for the most part. And just the disc is, as you know, very focused on as many of the boutique labels as I can cram into uh, any given episode or any given series of episodes. So the Shout Factories, the Scream Factories, the Kinos, the Warner Archives, the Twilight Times, the Scorpion. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome. So I try to focus on what they're doing you know, more or less presently in the next, in the most recent three to four or five month period. Um, and, uh, so if you're into Blu-rays and you haven't checked out just the discs, um, you might enjoy that one too. So anyway, that's, oh, Rupert Pumpkin Speaks. That's my blog. I do some Blu-ray stuff there and some list stuff there and such, but anyway, that's me. Cool. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and plug for you too. Cause I love it. The, uh, the Patreon feed for pure cinema is really awesome. Aww. And you guys do, uh, some like episodes where you'll, you'll talk about the Blu-rays coming out in a given month. I love that. Yeah. Um, cause that really, it, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff. There's so much yeah. always coming out and you guys do like a rundown of everything that's coming out. And then you guys kind of pick, uh, one or two that would be like your picks of the month. Um, and I actually, I kind of lean on those. Um, and you've done things in the past too, where when Criterion's having a sale, you guys did like, Hey, here's some Criterion's that would be worth checking out. Um, so I think that was a Patreon. So yeah, if, if you're into this stuff, I would definitely recommend becoming a subscriber to that because there's a lot of great extra content. You are a sweetheart, sir. I appreciate it. I feel like you've been on the Patreon since the beginning, almost, uh, right? The second you announced it. <laughs> wow, that well, is incredible. Yeah, can't no, thank I you mean, enough, man. No, that's no. a long and, time. Yeah, and I'll tell you. And again, the reason why is I I get a lot from what you guys do, and I know it takes time and effort and money to acquire these movies, so it it just feels only fair <laughs> well, if if you're enjoying something. And uh, but anyway, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, but no, I, it, so absolutely happy to do it. Um, and I'm grateful for you guys. So, so no, um, yeah. And, and thanks to everyone out there listening, uh, as well as Jason Jinx Jenkins for kindly inviting me to stand in for him today. Um, as always for the show, please make sure to like subscribe, share, tell your friends, uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, at scream addicts. And I am at Paul is great 2000, which I know is a very modest, uh, <laughs> Twitter moniker, uh, moniker, but I made it as a joke many years ago and got stuck with it. So here we are. Same um, here. <laughs> uh, but until next time, thank you all so much and have a great weekend. Down there, Kelly. Would you mean the other day I saw a rat this big? Are you through? No, I mean it. He was this big.